Amen. Amen. That is our prayer. This morning we continue our new sermon series called Identity Crisis, Who Are You? Uh, If you have a Bible, I encourage you to grab it and turn to a book in the New Testament by the name of 2 Corinthians. It's Paul's uh, second letter to the church at Corinth. 2 Corinthians will be chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible with you, the scripture uh, passage that we'll be taking a look at this morning for this morning's sermon should be printed in your bulletin, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. I'm going to ask you to please stand and rise uh, out of reverence for the reading of God's word this morning. Hear God's word. From now on, therefore... We regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may your Holy Spirit shine in our lives today, that we might see ourselves clearly in your word And that we might see the good news of the gospel revealed here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Ninety percent of people live with a major regret in their life. 90% of the people in this room live with a major regret in their life. According to one statistic, regret is the number two emotion that's most often referenced in conversation. It's only behind the emotion Love. This is the crisis where we find ourselves. What are the top five regrets? They're listed from the number one regret to the least regret in this order. Romance. Family. Education, career, finance. Which one of those do you hold some regrets this morning? Out of a survey of people that are 34 years old or younger, One out of three have posted something on a social media website that they regret. Wish they had never posted it. 
Out of everyone that has a tattoo, at least one out of three regrets a tattoo they have. Oh, I was always curious about that. Regret is a real crisis people experience. And I know many of us, if not all of us today, sit here this morning in God's house with at least one or two major regrets in our life. Well, that's the problem. What's the solution? The solution, of course, is found in Jesus, right? But how so? Well, there is a calming effect you can experience this morning through a sound biblical doctrine. And it's the doctrine of regeneration. That is the answer to the identity crisis that many of us experience. It's the doctrine of regeneration. What does that mean? It means that we've been rebirthed. To use Jesus' language in John chapter 3 in his conversation with Nicodemus, we've been born again. That's the answer. That's the solution to our identity crisis of regrets about the past or regrets about decisions we've made or regrets about decisions we've, we've fumbled. It's the doctrine of regeneration, rebirth. R.C. Sproul says this, Regeneration is a theological term used to describe rebirth. It means a new beginning, a new genesis. It marks the beginning of a renewed life and a radically renewed person. That's what the Apostle Paul gets out here in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You may see it in your footnote there of your Bible, something that the KJV and NAS, New American Standard and King James Version, translate as a new creature. I like that. That if anyone is in Christ, it's as if he's become a whole new creature, a whole new creation. In terms of redemptive history, if we, if we unraveled and unrolled the timeline of history and God's work of redemption in history, there's no doubt it harkens back to the book of Genesis and the fact that in creation, everything was very good. And at the beginning of the history of the world, Adam and Eve were born sinless in perfection and perfect righteousness. But after they fell and rebelled against God, there was always this longing that things would be made new. And kind of like the parking meter outside of a, a government building, God has given us promise after promise in the scriptures that's like a deposit of a token of promise in the meter of our memories and our minds. 
reassuring us that he will one day make all things new. That's why he says in Jeremiah 31, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts, a token of promise. Isaiah 43, he says, Behold, I'm doing a new thing. I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins, another token of promise. That you could be made new. And then, of course, we see the timeline stretched all the way out to the book of Revelation. Our call to worship this morning said, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Doctrine of a new heavens, a new earth, a new genesis, a new beginning. That should be enough. But thanks be to God, he gives us more than just promises. Do you know what he gives us in his word? He gives us people that we can see that he is made new. We see Abram, who is called the exalted father, although he didn't have really a son through his wife, Sarah. And God changes him from Abram to Abraham, which means a father of a multitude. And we see it's through Isaac, his son, birthed through Sarah, that indeed Abraham becomes a father of many nations. And then we see God change Jacob, who comes out of the womb, a liar, a cheat, who's grabbing his brother's heel, Esau, trying to steal his birthright, even from birth. And later he does when he tricks him with some soup. But Jacob is changed to Israel, which means one who struggles with God. But God doesn't end there. In the New Testament, we see God continue to change people, to make people new. He takes Simon and makes him Peter, the rock. He takes Saul, who is the greatest persecutor of the church in the first century, and changes him into the greatest missionary the world has ever seen. Saul becomes Paul. What is our hope for our regret? You know the apostle Paul regretted the fact that he had persecuted the church. In fact, he said he called himself the chief of all sinners. But the answer to his regret was the doctrine of regeneration, that he had been born again by Christ. It reminds me of a, a jazz song called Big Bad Bill is Sweet William Now. How many of you have ever heard that song, show of hands? Oh, you have the privilege this morning. After I sing today, Janet will never ask me to sing the choir ever again. Here's how the song goes. Big Bad Bill is Sweet William Now. Here's how it goes. It says, well, way down yonder in Louisville lived a cat named Big Bad Bill. I want to tell you, all the cat was rough and tough. He could strut his stuff. Had the whole town scared to death when he walked by. They all held their breath. He's a fighting man, sure enough. And then Bill found himself a wife, 
Now he leads a different life. Big Bad Bill is sweet William now. Married life done changed him somehow. He's the man the town used to fear. Now they all talk about sweet Papa Willie, dear. Stronger than Samson, I declare, till a brown-skinned woman bobbed his hair. Big Bad Bill don't fight anymore. No, he don't. He's doing the dishes and mopping up that floor. Yes, he is. Well, he used to go out drinking, looking for a fight. Now he's got to see that sweet woman every night. Big Bad Bill is sweet William now. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Cha! Yeah! Okay? You'll never forget it now, will you? Big Bad Bill is sweet William now. This is what R. Kent Hughes has to say about the doctrine of generation. This is the biography of every Christian. Big Bad Bill is sweet William now. That stupid song might be history. It might be fiction. But brothers and sisters in Christ... It is a picture of redemption and regeneration. This is the biography of every Christian, everyone who comes to faith in Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, it says in the Greek, behold, the new has come. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come. You've got regrets. I've got regrets. But Jesus is bigger than all of your regrets. He's bigger than all your mistakes. He's bigger than all of your past miseries. Current miseries and misfortunes. Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are in Christ? You are a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, is the biography of every Christian. Let's talk about the difference that it makes. It makes a difference, as the Apostle Paul highlights in verse 16. You see, there's a tendency in the world today that we, we, we judge people by externals. We judge people by the shallow external things going on in their life. In fact, Paul himself got judged in this way. It's said in 2 Corinthians that he was not one of eloquent speech. In fact, the Apostle Paul spends most of 2 Corinthians defending himself, defending his ministry, and defending the fact that he truly is an apostle of Jesus Christ. And so 
the church at Corinth was judging the apostle Paul by external standards. He wasn't very eloquent. He wasn't very persuasive in his preaching. Ironically, although God and the Holy Spirit uses him to write the majority of the New Testament. And even John Calvin himself says that in every generation there's this tendency to be fooled by outward disguises rather than valuing sincerity of the heart. So what difference does this doctrine of regeneration make in your life and my life? To quit judging by the externals of people's lives. Sometimes it can fool you. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. And the root of your identity should be rooted and grounded in your relationship with Jesus Christ. See, the Apostle Paul was criticized for the fact that he did not accept Jesus as the Messiah before he was crucified, buried, and resurrected. That's why he admits in verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. You see, Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 21 says, "'Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree.'" And so the Apostle Paul concluded as Jesus was being crucified that he was cursed by God and that he was just another failed false Messiah until the resurrected Jesus appears to Paul on the road to Damascus. And then his life was radically changed forever. And then he saw that Christ was no fool or no phony, but Jesus was real. Likewise, friends, the difference that Christ can make in your life is for you to see who you are in him. There are three differences I believe that this doctrine of regeneration should make in your life. The first difference is this, in your past. Some of you are embarrassed because of decisions you made in high school and college. Maybe it was due to your romances. Maybe it was due to how you treated your family or how you approached your education. Thanks be to God you can take those sins and those transgressions to God And the old will pass away permanently and the new will come. And so in God's eyes, you don't have to be defined by those regrets and mistakes in your past. And here's what we need to do a better job of as a church. When others in the community bring up your past or someone else's past in our church, you know what we should do? If we know that they have made a true profession of faith in Christ and they're seeking to walk in obedience to him, we should lovingly and graciously interrupt the conversation and say, but isn't that wonderful? That isn't that person any longer. Do you know what the Bible has to say about it? That if anyone is in Christ, 
he or she is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Isn't it wonderful how in love they are with their spouse today? Isn't it wonderful how faithful they are to their spouse today? Isn't it wonderful that we don't see them drink to excess anymore? Isn't it wonderful that they're not a gossip like they used to be in high school? Isn't it wonderful that now they're more of a cheerleader than they were in high school, truly cheering on and encouraging those around them? We're on the same boat of redemption. Let us defend the new identity we have in Christ, both in ourselves and with one another. The second difference this, pa- this doctor makes in your life has to do with your present. This has more to do probably with the doctrine of sanctification than regeneration, but I think you need to be reminded as you struggle with your own sin battles today, As the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. You see, Satan's going to come to you and remind you of who you used to be. And you need to remind him of who you are now. I would strongly encourage you to memorize 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It is a verse that is a golden gospel nugget which you want to chew regularly. May it be like a toothpick of truth that I see you stick in your mouth and chew on constantly throughout the week. I see some of the guys nodding their head. Remember those, those cinnamon toothpicks? Weren't those delicious? Well, let this be like a cinnamon toothpick of truth that you sink deep into your teeth and you chew on regularly throughout the week that as Satan comes to you and hisses and snarls, That you would quote to him and say, but you got it all wrong. That guy's dead. He doesn't live any longer. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is past. The new has come. Or Philippians 1.6, which is sanctification. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. This doctrine affects your present, but it also affects your future. George Eldon Ladd says this, that this doctrine of regeneration has an eschatological element to it. Ooh, doesn't that sound, that sounds nerdy, doesn't it? That sounds impressive, doesn't it, Darty? Darty, you're impressed, aren't you? Thank you. I got a, I got a thumbs up from Patrick Darty. You all take note of that fact, okay? What does it mean, an eschatological element to it? It means this, that because I've been birthed in Christ, it guarantees that at my death and at the second coming of Jesus Christ, this body will be transformed fully into the likeness of my Savior. Some of you have sin struggles that you're battling today, that you've been battling for years. 
And for some of you, you know what? It may be a battle you face until Jesus calls you home or he comes again. So cling to the eschatological element of this doctrine of regeneration. That's what's true for you today by God's grace guarantees who you will become at Christ's coming. This doctrine does make a difference. As I studied this passage this week, it reminded me of something we did one time when I was a youth pastor. It was called Cardboard Testimonies. And what we did at the end of the week of a mission trip is we had some time of worship and praise of God, a time of preaching, and then at the conclusion of the service, as we sang the last song, we, we had had all the students prepare a cardboard testimony. And what they did was they wrote on one side of the cardboard a word or phrase that described their life before coming to Christ. One word or phrase that described their life before coming to faith in Christ. And then they wrote down the other side of the piece of card, cardboard one word or phrase that described their life after coming to faith in Christ. It was powerful to, to see the testimonies in less than 60 seconds. The difference Christ had made in each one of those students' lives. So this morning, I want to share some of the testimonies I've seen and I've heard in you through cardboard testimonies.
That, my friends, is a picture of the difference that Christ can make in your life. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads. I'm not going to do anything to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask, I'm not going to ask any of you to come forward. And you don't have to see me after the service unless you want to. But the question you need to answer before you leave here today is this question. Are you in Christ? The Bible says if anyone is in Christ he's a new creation how do you know if you're in Christ well the first thing is this have you admitted to Christ that you're a sinner have you asked him to forgive you and to change you If you haven't, then I want to give you that opportunity today. To right now, to admit and say, dear Jesus, I know I'm wrong, I'm ashamed. Please forgive me, please change me. Do you believe? The only hope you have in the world is Jesus because he paid the punishment we we deserve and face. You believe he rose from the dead and he offers you a new life. You believe he offers you forgiveness. That he's patient with you. So then I ask you to to say that to him right now that you believe that he he paid the death penalty you owed God he lived the life you should have lived he, he died the death you should have died in your place and that he resurrected from the cross from the, from the dead the empty tomb so we can live with him forever and will you commit that you're going to trust not in yourself but you're going to trust in him you're going to lean in him to live for him tell him that you know it's by grace that you're saved through faith it's not by your works lest any man should boast if so the scriptures say that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved that's the assurance we have for those of you that are still struggling with regret and shame and you've, you've confessed that to Christ, my encouragement to you today is that you need to keep on preaching the gospel to yourself every day. We never outgrow Jesus. We never outgrow our need for him. We're saved by his grace. We're sustained by his grace. And our salvation is secured purely by his grace. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for this truth that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And we're grateful for your amazing grace. Help us to live in light of it today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I ask you to please stand and respond to God's word this morning by singing Amazing Grace, verses 1 through 4.